Okay. So we'll keep on with the section on developing a bodhicitta. And for this, your outline is, is um, pretty important. And the outline was, was made for a purpose so that you would have all the main points listed on it and then would know what they were and be able to meditate on them. Do you need an outline? Do you have one, Eva? Yeah, then the top box there. Okay. And so um, the outline will help you follow the teachings and it'll also help you to remember the order in which to do the meditation when you're, on, you're at home. Because all these things that we're talking about in class are for the purpose of meditation. It's not just information gathering and it's not just knowledge, but it's stuff that we really have to think about repeatedly over and over and over and over again and over and over and over and over again to, so that it kind of seeps into our mind at some level or another. And so, um, you know, whatever you hear in class, try and go home and think about it and really apply it to your life uh, so that, you know, you get some some taste from it. Um, under the second kind of paragraph here, okay, the actual stages of how to cultivate the altruistic intention. If you can remember all these different steps of the bodhicitta meditation and go over them, you know, because cause and effect works, then if you go over these again and again, you will develop bodhicitta. Okay. <laughs> so if you create the cause, you get the result. And also it's important to think of the advantages of bodhicitta, and not just the ones listed there, but I went over some other ones afterwards about how bodhicitta is our best friend, and it's a good antidepressant, and it's good for loneliness and, and these things, and to really think about that so that you get an understanding of how it works in your life. Because the more we can see the benefit of something, then the more keen we are to practice it. Okay, so last time we um, went over the equanimity meditation, and that's the one where you're imagining the friend and the enemy, or the friend and the person you don't get along with. Whenever it says enemy in the teacher, it doesn't mean, you know, arch enemy. It just means whoever it is who bugs you at any particular moment. Okay, for that moment, they're a person you don't get along with. So a friend, a person you don't get along with, and then a stranger. And visualizing those three, asking ourselves why we're attached to one, have aversion to the other, and apathetic to the third. And then recognizing that those feelings come from a very self-centered viewpoint. Um, that we create our own friends and um, people we don't get along with and strangers. We create them in our mind and then we believe what we create. Incredible, isn't it? So we make it so many problems for ourselves. And so a lot of Dharma is just the process of undoing our hallucinations, stopping to make problems for ourselves, letting ourselves be happy a little bit. And so... By seeing that those are creations of our mind is one way to meditate on it. Also by seeing that those relationships are not fixed and that they continually change. The person who's kind to us today isn't kind to us the next day. The person who's mean to us today is kind to us the next day. And so because everybody's harmed us at some point, everybody's helped us at some point, then there's no reason to cherish some beings over others 
or hate other beings over others because everybody's done everything to us before. Very useful to think like this. And if we're able to uh, free ourselves from this attachment and aversion and apathy, then we automatically avoid uh, something that, that most worldly people consume a whole lot of time in, which is helping their friends and harming their enemies. And when you look back on your life, how much time you spent helping your friends out of attachment, not, uh, not out of genuine, sincere love, but out of attachment to get something back, and how much time we've spent harming the people we don't like. I would just spent so much time doing this. And uh, at a certain point, we look at that and say, this is stupid. Yeah. This, is, this is what politicians do. <laughs> I don't need to do it. It's also what animals do. Yeah. And if you look at the animals, that's what they do. Help their friends. Harm the ones they don't like. So there's nothing particularly gracious or noble about, about being like that. I love teaching this at Tushita. Those of you who are at Tushita, remember the little dogs and then the monkeys come? And you see these little, they're little Lhasa Apsas. Remember, she loves having Lhasa Apsas. And the monkeys come, and, the, and the, the monkeys will sit up high, and the dogs will be underneath. Yeah, 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 you know, this is our property. You can't come here. You know? I mean, this is exactly like people. You know? <laughs> Except people maybe take out a shotgun or they scream in a different language. You know, very similar. And then the dogs the same way, you know. When, when it's lunchtime, they come and they sit on your lap and you know, they're nice and friendly and you feed them and they love you. And that's the same way people are. You're nice to them. So this whole thing of helping friends and, and harming the ones we don't like, it's, you know, even the animals do that. He was so funny this last spring when I was teaching in Dharamsala in the middle of one talk. There's some horses that go by with these little Lhasa Apsas chasing after them. <laughs> this is our territory. You can't come on here. We don't care that you weigh 40 times more than we do. <laughs> so this whole mind of attachment and aversion that just, you know, makes us waste our life that way. So it's good to, to look back. You know, in your past and see how much time has been spent like that and really make a determination to try and develop this equal feeling towards everybody so that we don't have to waste time in that way. And so again, to remember that this equal feeling is an equal openness. It's an equal concern. It's not a withdrawal or detachment for sentient beings. And this is a a thing that I think we Westerners often go to the extreme of when we get into Dharma is that we become so aware of our attachment and all the problems with our attachment that then we go to the extreme of, you know, well, I'm just going to withdraw from everybody because all the contact I have is attachment. And so we eliminate any kind of positive feelings for others, thinking, you know, confusing positive feelings with attachment.